Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in government. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you may be listening around the world, and thanks for joining me in Transition, the podcast dedicated to the practice of content marketing in government. My name's David Pembroke, and I'm delighted that you've joined me again today as we explore how governments are using content marketing to strengthen communities and improve the well-being of citizens. Now, as is our practice, as you know, those of you who've listened before, we like to start with the definition of content marketing in government, and it is. Content marketing is a strategic and measurable business process that relies on the curation, creation, and distribution of valuable, relevant, and consistent content to engage and inform a clearly defined audience with the objective of driving a desired citizen or stakeholder action. Our guest today is Mr. Joe Golner, who is known as the content philosopher. He joins me now. Joe, thanks for being in transition. Well, thank you, David. Thank you for having me. Listen, before we dive into the discussion, rather than me tell the Joe Golner story as to how you've got to where you are today, perhaps if you could just give us a potted history of that Joe Golner story. Okay. Um, well, it would be very, um, you know, we, we just mentioned about uh, content strategy as sort of the, the nerdy first cousin of content marketing. And within that extended family, I'm probably uh, among the most nerdy of those. <laughs> and uh, so I do often say that I, I do take a particular interest in looking at the, what we'll call the technical nature of content. And, and why I do so is that I am very interested in, in how we can improve um, how content is, is handled, how, how we create it, how we manage it, how we leverage it. And, and it's, um, it's basically been the centerpiece of my professional career for over 25 years. And I'm, I'm fascinated by the ways that we can not only protect the un- unique qualities uh, of content, but we can actually use technology to amplify them. And, and help them get to more places and be, you know, that much more uh, compelling and useful. And uh, so if we dial all the way back to the mid-1980s, uh, as I describe myself on occasion as being seriously into content or starting my life as swimming in content, um, I was for a period a reader uh, at the Bodleian Library at Oxford and and therefore literally sitting in the... Uh, restricted section in uh, Hogwarts uh, with all the old tomes and and at the same time and, and then immediately thereafter I was in the Canadian military where I was surrounded by mountains of different types of content um, the technical content and somewhere between these two uh, experiences I became fascinated with what was common between a large book of drama or poetry, and a, a massive set of, of technical specifications. And uh, so, uh, you know, since 1991, I've had uh, effectively four successive businesses that are, are offspring of each other, and the most recent one is, is called uh, Gnostics Research. And uh, many of my team members have been with me for a very long time, and we work on um, putting in place the, the the technical infrastructure that lets organizations do a good job of their content and to reap the rewards. Now, what are 
the building blocks of that infrastructure and approach that you take in terms of developing the appropriate content strategy? Yes, and and you know it's it's an interesting. It's sort of like a it's like a, a gateau or a delicious dessert. It, it's got some layers to it. Um, at the at the very top level, uh, we have uh, what we will call and recognize as as content strategy, where we really focus in on what content uh, is really going to uh, be to be best. Uh, in fulfilling certain business objectives, and this is really the the plug or the the interface um, with content marketing and the layers below that then look at okay at the first layer down we look at what are what 's the process what are what is the sort of the life cycle stages that that um, we really are interested in facilitating and i I run through them as there 's content acquisition, which is basically boils down to. How do we get our greedy little hands on the content that we need? Sometimes we license it. Sometimes we sit down and write it. Uh, sometimes we, uh, um, you know, convert it from something that we had before but had forgotten about. Um, we also have then to look at how do we deliver it? How do we actually bring it into the hands or get it to the eyes or the ears of the people that we want to share it with? And that's content delivery. How do we act on that? Um, I also in that life cycle have uh, a, a, a sort of an activity called content engagement. And I think that that plugs in nicely to to David's uh, your your intro where it's it's a it's a sort of a, it's a top tier building block and activity in my life cycle model. It's content engagement. How do we get you know audiences actively involved in not just using it and understanding how the content's being used, but perhaps contributing to it, providing us feedback, providing um, supplements to really become engaged and committed. Uh, then there is the, the fourth of the main activity areas, which I call content management, and that is putting the management infrastructure in place to facilitate all of these, these things and to basically make sure we don't lose anything. Um, and that's sort of the, 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 the life cycle layer, and that's a, a centerpiece of a, a basically all of our projects, and uh, you, you may take uh, delight or dread in the knowledge that that life cycle model stretches in its structure all the way back to Hippocrates and the ancient Greeks. So it actually is very closely modeled on the four humors and the four elements of the um, sublunary world of, of Earth. And uh, um, But, you know, in a more modern way, it also aligns very neatly with, say, agile methods. Um, if we go to the next level down, which is where a lot of our business in Gnostics is, we then look at specifically what is the type of authoring environment we want to equip people with who are charged with creating the next generation of content, content that's going to be uh, simultaneously and automatically delivered uh, as a podcast, as a uh, uh, an EPUB, you know, as a, uh, you know, part of uh, content interaction within a mobile app, you know, wherever it needs to go and in whatever format it needs to go. And uh, one of the reasons uh, that I got interested in this field were um, the capability to have a single source and to from that to generate things like a Braille edition um, to make sure that we were being genuinely accessible, which of course is a, a, a central um, 
interest, and, and rightly so, of governments everywhere. So we do look at, say, under content acquisition, it, what kind of tools can we equip? And, and this is a very interesting area. Is like, how do you actually provide an engaging, interesting work environment for people who create content when that content's going to have to be many things in many places and for you know many different uses? It's, a, it's quite a different challenge than sitting down with uh, InDesign or Microsoft Word and composing in what used to be thought of as what you see is what you get. Uh, when we have multiple channels, when we, we need a different type of environment. Um, likewise, on the on the delivery side, we have a great attention applied to automation, and that we try to basically automate everything we can get our hands on, and what we can't automate, we try to facilitate uh, creatives getting involved to uh, make it just perfect. Now, I'm, I'm very interested to actually get to that discussion around the technology and, and marketing automation. Uh, but I'm also interested just to perhaps for you to reflect on, you know, the real changes that we're seeing now that, you know, this ability to be a publisher and that you've been at this game now for 25 years. Just where would you see the maturity and the ability of organisations, particularly government organisations that you've worked for, to be able to take advantage of the, the sorts of methodologies that you've outlined, but to take advantage of that ability that they now have to be a publisher and to be able to go direct? Yeah, the uh, well, I do a fair bit of work with the Canadian government and it's it's an interesting set of examples in our projects there because um, you know on one level there is a, a, a massive drive as there has been in the UK that I'm, I'm quite well aware of um, and, and perhaps may, may as well be in Australia but basically to revamp the sort of online presence and to really rethink how communications are undertaken sort of with uh, years of accrued materials and years of accrued uh, practices sort of becoming very top heavy there is a great deal of energy of sort of tossing off the uh, the accumulated materials and sort of getting back to basics and uh, certainly with uh, my my projects with the Canadian government there is a great deal of excitement about what we can now do and in particular back to everyone's a publisher now one of the immediate um, and probably most interesting outcomes of that are sort of everybody's a publisher and then they look around and say, you know, if everyone's a publisher, I can create networks of publishers, of collabor collaborators who, in fact, may cross many government boundaries, may be, you know, straddling all sorts of jurisdictional lines and that for the purposes of what the citizen is interested in, we can actually put a much more coherent and integrated story together than we could individually as sort of a, you know local and, and isolated individual publishers. So to be honest, my most exciting projects are ones where the individual uh, ability where everyone can be a publisher has actually suddenly found their kindred spirits and said, we can, we can mm. do this and we can actually paper over in effect these great chasms of jurisdictional boundaries and get to an integrated experience for the for the citizen. And I'll, I'll use one example. Um, for for several years, uh, we've been working with the Canadian Department of Agriculture. And of course, Canada is a, is uh, well, like like Australia, a, a federation. 
And uh, we have, of course, then provincial governments who have their own ministries of agriculture. And then, you, you know, you can drill down and eventually you have sort of local districts and so on. You have all sorts of layers in the government uh, uh, hierarchy. But there is one farmer and that farmer uh, is battling, I don't know, pests or uh, want to expand their operations. They want to know, you know, what requirements fall upon them from some level of government, what services are available to them. And they would really like to see that as an integrated picture. And uh, so what we did is we worked on a project where, you know, people from the province of Manitoba and the province of Nova Scotia and the Canadian federal government could pool individually published content and to basically provide an integrated experience. And then as soon as we did that, then they started syncing. It was almost like heart cells starting to synchronize their beating that they realized we have to synchronize many of our content practices because, you know, the feedback we're getting through usability tests from just sort of public feedback on the, uh, it's called the AgPal portal, is steering us resolutely towards um, aligning our language, aligning our story. And it was explosively, almost frighteningly uh, effective. And before long, literally within a matter of months, our project went from being a small, sleepy um, undertaking, um, both technically and, and from a communication perspective, to being the talk of the Parliament of Canada. And suddenly we were turning up in all the reports that you want to be turn, turning up in. Okay. So there's one you know, in the speech from the throne. When your project is mentioned glowingly in the speech from the throne, it's generally a very good place to be. And there, there are other reports you want to avoid, but that's one you desperately want to be in. And lo and behold, that's where we found ourselves. And, and that was without us being particularly clever at promoting the project. It was that the, the farmer community was so vocal in their support and so relieved at being able to go to one place and very quickly find everything that applied to them and in a way that was completely understandable. You know, it had literally been made uh, into sort of plain language, uh, very clear sort of a taxonomy um, and a taxonomy based on what farmers do as opposed to what governments do. And the, the effect was absolutely um, shocking, but in a positive way. How did you overcome at the very early stages of that project the territorial nature of, you know, municipal governments, you know, state government, federal governments, you know, this is our responsibility, you know, sorry, we don't need you or, you know, that traditional sort of boundaries that people sort of throw up between each other? Uh, excellent question. I've, I've run into this. I've, I've worked in very similar projects over the last 15 years in, in healthcare, and and uh, depending on which of those um, sort of areas of business you're in, the, the jurisdictional sensitivities are, are even sharper. So healthcare, for example, or education were ones were very challenging. But in these cases, at the end of the day, because it actually didn't entail any you know, business change. There was actually no change in the jurisdiction. It was just let's let's help people find everything. And so we were literally told provinces or our, our other agencies, this is just a good way to be found. So if you have any form of search engine optimization interest uh, or activity, this is 
one good way to be found because there will be other um, agencies, namely the federal government, promoting this as one-stop shop. And by and large, you know, even our most politically isolationist province, Quebec, um, you know, agriculture is a huge part of the Quebec uh, economy, and they came to the table, and uh, you know, they only spoke French with us, but they were very interested. And at, you know, at, after a while, they they sort of had sussed it out and realized. This is no threat. This would actually be a disservice to our own farmers <laughs> to yeah. not make our material and everything else easily available. And so they, they signed on, which, of course, uh, was one of the reasons we got such high uh, visibility because that was almost unprecedented. So it, it's one where we, there was, you know, work was done to show that there really wasn't any surrender that uh, it was it was genuinely about what can we um, marshal for the benefit of the citizen wherever they are, and uh, that seemed to be and an, an, another little uh, story. We were in uh, Nova Scotia, and we showed and we we used usability testing quite uh, uh, relentlessly and ruthlessly on this project to sort of determine what was actually working. And we had eventually refined the discovery experience to be extraordinarily successful, you know, by my, by by the judgment of my colleagues in the usability um, testing business. When people are scoring in the high 90s on task completion, then you are close to perfection. Um, but when they left our site and actually started to interact with some materials, say from the province of Nova Scotia. The jarring change in language from natural language and citizen-centered to government speak was all the more shocking and encouraged farmers into more and more colorful language. <laughs> and uh, to, my, to this day, I will never forget the, the minister from the province of Nova Scotia um, hearing us play some of the feedback because we recorded these usability and we sort of distilled the greatest hits particularly farmers exploding with anger, and played them for this minister. And he started to change color. He started to literally look gray <laughs> because he was physically mortified. And at the end, he just said, is our content really that bad? <laughs> and I said, yes, yes, it is. And the part I really, really enjoyed was then he said, we're going to fix this starting today. So what are the elements that have to be in place to really get a, a, a broader take-up of the practice of, of content strategy and its relationship with content marketing? The, uh, you know, I, I do see that there's a, a, a broad sort of trend afoot, and, and I do think it's a very good one. And, and these examples I've been using from the Canadian government are, I think, uh, symptomatic that on one hand you know there is a a need faced by almost all organizations to become much more efficient you know the whether it's the debt levels or other financial um, constraints are making them highly sensitized and this leads us to things like um, needing to look at an integrated service and the best way to achieve that 
seems to be almost without fail to jump over onto the user, the customer, the citizen side and say, what are the things that are genuinely most important? And what is the best way to organize things to service that? And then going more, more, you know, more deeply into this, where the, what you know, I see as the, the content real play here is what is most effective is, we call it genuine stories, genuine um, content, genuine uh, resources that people find are useful given sort of key tasks. And that means, you know, making a much deeper connection between an organization and its constituency, its, its reason for being. So I'm seeing that on the technical side of organizations, whether it's, you know, people like Boeing uh, or Schlumberger or, you know, leading edge companies around the world where say, you know, we do very sophisticated things, but we're finding that in addition to trying to keep up with the pace of technical innovation about these systems, you know, we actually have to know more and more about our users, our customers, uh, the communi communities in which we work. And this all seems to then feed straight into a, an interest in, in content marketing and sort of like building, as you, as you said at the outset, David, you know, more vital, more sort of vibrant uh, relationships with an engaged audience. And uh, I, I find this a fascinating trend, and I've sort of watched it over the, the years. And with some of my large uh, industrial customers, we, we talk a lot about making the customers the product manager. You know, how do we equip customers with literally all of the information and all of the knowledge so that they can start to tell stories to us about what they need to do and that that becomes... Um, the song sheet by which we lead our research and development activities. And, and that is a, is a, is a fascinating uh, change of dynamics. It also means that, of course, on, on the technical side, literally on how systems are built, you know, we need to be fundamentally more agile because suddenly now we are expected to deliver software or physical systems, airplanes or whatnot, that are highly customized to communities of customers, and that's that is uh, you know that is the the sort of the, the front right now in the competitive landscape for for business, and uh, and I find for those financial reasons I touched on, governments, to be honest, are in even greater pressure to get on that bandwagon. And in terms of that, it's, it it is a step change in the way that they've traditionally gone about their business of communication. And obviously, there's a need for new skills, new capability in order for them to be able to implement such an approach. What sort of advice do you have for people in government as to how they can best prepare to take advantage of a methodology such as the one that you've outlined? Well, that's, a, yeah, that's a good question. And, and the, uh, uh, there's, there's a couple. And, and one is, it's, it's sort of like... Uh, um, recognizing that, that there is a genuine need for change and that uh, no matter what, you know, the new communication business is involves more of this sort of uh, cross-jurisdictional collaboration. Like it's, it, it comes with a lot of uh, uh, changes and in a lot of organizations, depending on their culture, this is, this is um, close to terrifying. 
Um, <laughs> the, so there, there, there are changes there. There's also this aspect of there is a, a different set of tools. It is inescapably a more technical environment um, that the, the, this communication activity suddenly um, has, has this sort of mandate to sort of approach these communication tasks with sort of a, a technical sophistication that makes sure that it's going to be findable, that it's going to be something that they can be repurposed and redeployed in different ways. Uh, and again, as one example we had uh, with this farmer project, we had a director general, so sort of a relatively senior executive within that department who simply refused to come to any of our meetings because we used words like metadata, taxonomy. It was enough to just keep this lady out of the room. And because she was a specialist in the business, particularly of you know farm insurance, so she was really on the business side, and she said, "No, no, I'm not. I I can't come." <laughs> and while we were at a stage in the project where we were doing what I call information prototyping, doing lightweight prototyping of the type of information experiences that could be produced with this new type of content, she came bursting into the room, um, and immediately went to the screen to start basically querying and quibbling with individual terms and their usage and placement. And it, it proved to us in such a compelling way that, you know, the technical jargon was, was, was just that, that in fact we could present what we were doing in ways that was accessible, that wasn't, you know, in, you know uh, unsalvageably nerdy. We could make this very tangible. And as a specialist in her field, you know, she could, once we were in this information prototyping stage, you know, really engage with and understand where it was we were trying to go. So it, it, there, it, that's, that's certainly one of them. Um, and there's, there's, there's probably a long list of, of others. And I guess my last one, which, uh, I spend a lot of time, we'll call at the executive levels in the Canadian government. And one of the things I, I tell them is that, we have some very good news. You know, there is over 30 years of experience in, in sort of bringing some of the new technologies and new publishing techniques to bear on our content. You know, we don't have to basically struggle through all the problems. By and large, we have solved all the problems often several times before. So it is a sort of an invocation that I tell them we need to leverage the you know the current best practices and the the state of the art because it works very very well and you know all the battle scars have been earned and you know again I will I'll, I'll use the Canadian government as an example but this time sort of as a as a a whipping boy <laughs> because you know we have a huge initiative underway called the web renewal and uh, basically a complete revamp of the federal government's online presence and among the things they work hard on is accessibility, you know, compliance with the uh, the applicable uh, web accessibility standards. And to say that they're struggling would be um, the the biggest of understatements. And you know, and I give them a hard time, and I do not pull any punches when I'm talking, say, with the CIO. I said, you know, one of the reasons you're struggling is you have done your online presence, your online services wrong for so long, and the way you're approaching it now is equally wrong. If we really tap into the lessons that have been learned about content technologies, the answer is very simple, and the path 
to a, a sort of easy and sustainable success story is very clear. Uh, why you insist on not doing that is is um, inexplicable. You can tell that makes me very popular. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I imagine. I'm interested in in your take also around that. Because where I come at uh, content marketing is obviously, you know, the background around that marketing, communications, storytelling side of things. It's not the the technical side of things. So I'd be interested in in your view around this sort of closer collaboration or this inevitable collaboration between the, the chief marketing officer and the chief information officer and how that can most effectively be handled in your view. Interestingly, I, I do find that uh, in most organizations, it's, it's true in, in government environments, it's, it's even more strikingly true in the commercial sector where, for example, the chief marketing officer has a, a, a large and rapidly growing technology budget and very often it is intentionally kept separate from that of the chief information officer and the information technology group. And and this worries me because it's it's sort of creating yeah. a new stovepipe that yeah. in not too long we will have to wrestle with. So I, I sadly often see we'll call underperformance in the area of, of collaboration because uh, um, you know what I find is most interesting is the prospect of having you know a new type of storytelling that does you know that emerges very sort of a organically and genuinely from from the organization and knowing that that's that's what's going to fly best and be the most supportable and the most uh, durable and any reactions any sort of engagement that comes from it will be actually the most useful so in some of these projects like the farmer one you know i could see i could see forming before my eyes this sort of a genuine discussion a genuine interaction between ministries and farmers and you see you know this is gold and but it obviously it, 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 it seems that, to me that, it seems to me that that came from the recognition of the primacy of the audience of the needs of the audience and the acceptance that that was the starting point that had to be the starting point for everything that followed absolutely absolutely and and what technology we put in place tended to be very well, it's open standards based you know really very low cost so we were able to move basically outside of the CIO's purview and so basically we were supporting the business side and then they collaborated with the marketing side the comm side and in fact you know we we tried to play you know play nice and involve the information technology group and went to great lengths to do so but by their own admission, which actually even that is stands in their credit, they said, we really don't have the resources or the expertise to support you in sort of, you know, leveraging the latest in content technologies and, and publishing technologies to support this kind of citizen-centric uh, view. So, you know, it was one where, you know, they were, they intentionally, and by their own intention, uh, sort of exempted themselves or uh, recused themselves from the project. And I do see that in a great deal of circumstances, but it is concerning because 
ultimately, you know, the CIO, the information technology group, should be able um, to be a, a, a an active and, and constructive partner uh, with the chief marketing officer, with the different lines of business, and uh, and and again, I'll come back. You know, one of the things I find most interesting about content as a as an artifact or as a sort of a phenomenon is that it is something that by its nature integrates things. It brings details from different parts of a business unit uh, together to say this is what the citizen's trying to do and and they don't know or care what your internal uh, languages or your organizational uh, boundaries or, or turf wars. How do we integrate? And, you know, it is... It is one, the one thing that, that content really lets us do. And I was t- talking with a firm in the UK this morning about it. They said content is a special and unique artifact. It is something that, that integrates data structures, often from many different places, with rhetorical patterns that give it you know, meaning and, and sort of convincing power. And as a consequence, as a technical artifact, it is a very difficult thing in some ways to manage. It is a, it's a gnarly complex artifact and you know our challenge as content technologists is how do we do a good job how do we not break the mold how do we not sort of impose restrictions upon the content so it can be exactly as it needs to be and that's uh, that really is and and as you put it even in technical environments and when we look at things like large military systems we found if we swung around and looked at it from the perspective of the technician who's trying to fix this thing um, we reorganized all of the information around an airplane, for example, around those perspectives, and suddenly, and sometimes surprisingly, we found new and better ways to manage those systems and manage the equipment. So by that shift of perspective, it is a great um, opportunity for organizations to sort of reinvent themselves. And, and as we know, many organizations are, are long overdue for this. Now, if all of this wasn't complicated and difficult enough, I logged on to see the most recent piece of work by Scott Brinker at the the Chief Marketing Technology, I think it's chiefmartech.com, we'll put it in the show notes, the link to it, but the most recent map of uh, content technology uh, vendors, and apparently it is now doubled uh, inside the last uh, nine to twelve months, what's your take on that? On this explosion of technologies that is, you know, now available in each of the crevices of the content strategy and content marketing process. Yes, yes. Um, you know, we we've been through uh, uh, several revolutions in sort of the content business, and with each one, we've had sort of a a, I'll use a Canadian metaphor, a snowstorm of options uh, suddenly turn up. And uh, in general, we, we welcome it every time, you know, that um, we are hopeful that organizations keep a content and well, citizen first mentality um, and therefore look at all of these options as things that they can draw upon, use, and when they are superseded by something better, they can quickly move to it. And um, I tease um, some, some of my customers w- about their continual habit of being, we'll call it application-centric. Yeah. 
that they, they'll buy a particular tool chain, maybe the Adobe suite or whatever it is, and they will move into it and they will, they will break it in like a pair of slippers and then in five years be complaining about how they can't do this or they can't extend it that way. And, and even the prospect of trying to move out of a particular tool set um, is, and this is exactly where the Canadian government is today, they have all sorts of commercial content management tools that they have for their web infrastructure. And they are baked in so deeply that it is, it is an undertaking of, of literally mind-numbing scale to get out of them, let alone to get into anything new. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, if we use, and, and again, I come back to, if we use the word content correctly from a technical perspective and keep this sort of content-centric view, a content-oriented view of things, and in particular content as for the, the citizen or the, the audience, we can actually protect ourselves. We can actually design things so that the content comes first and stays first and that the different technologies come in and out basically to do what we want them to do and that like a, a chocolate bar or something, when we're done with them, we toss it into the, the bin and we're, we move on to something else. And uh, we've always looked at how we can deploy content technologies in particular, the root standards, they like the extensible markup language, XML or HTML5, and how to, to deploy it in such a way that is genuinely technology independent. And this so that we can exploit every new tool. So in next year, when the latest you know, analytics tool comes out, integrating it with our, our content libraries is easy peasy, as opposed to you know, the sky is falling, how will we ever afford this change? So as you sit here, and, and I won't take up too much more of your time, you've been very generous, and I've, I've really appreciated that, and I know the audience certainly will appreciate your, your insights. But just as a, a looking forward, what, what do you see over the next sort of 12 to 18 months, 24 months, as, as the changes that we're going to continue to see? Because, you know, as the internet of things starts to take hold, whether it's, you know, 50 billion devices, whether it's 200 billion devices connected to the internet, broadband, you know, starting to change, continuing to change people's behaviour. You know, we are at galloping speed. Well, it's probably, you know, beyond galloping speed, really, the change that's taking place at the moment. Well, where do you see um, the opportunities? And if you're a you know, chief marketing officer, chief information officer at the moment listening to this, you're thinking, yeah, you know, I do want to do this, but this is the context that I'm in. What are the, the the few simple things over the next twelve to twenty four months I could do to make some progress? Yeah, you know, I I think back to some of your introductory remarks, David, and 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 the point you just brought up about you know putting the the audience, putting the the citizen at the center, and then almost like rethinking. Um, activities, uh, communication activities from that perspective. And uh, in all of this, I do hold up the UK government as a shining example of almost a bewildering willing, willingness to sort of turn down even off the um, political marketing that seemed to overwhelm all um, government sites and still govern the Canadian sites and actually go at it from you know, what are the 10 things that people really need to do? And we'll start there. So I think, you know, there, 
you and know, it's incredible it's to see the costs spot. the costs that they've been able to pull out of their communications budgets are, are mind numbing how big they are. Oh, absolutely, and and I did. I was doing. I worked on the Canadian government's business case for doing their complete revamp, and uh, my estimates ran to you know they didn't want me to tell anyone, but billions of dollars yeah. uh, being saved, um, and a lot of it, you know, not not expenditures that directly result in better content going to the right people. In fact, it was a lot of busy work patching over and fixing and, and converting and reconverting. And I said, you know, a lot of the things you do really don't need to be done if we approach this correctly. And then you get back to, yeah, and what happens if we actually are developing, you know, with, with a proper strategy in place, developing, you know, key content that's going to be impactful both internally and externally that, that builds these kind of connections. Um, I, you know, if I were, and I, I go to the UK a lot, if I, if I were a citizen there, <laughs> you know, I would be delighted to interact with some parts of their uh, online information experience simply because it is so clearly stripped down to, um, well, just the facts and things that are genuinely interesting and useful. And uh, so it is, it's, it is something that can be done and, and like, that minister in Nova Scotia who just said, "We have to start. We have to start today to improve our content." They actually did. You know, took. They started with the results of our usability tests. They started saying, "Okay, here's our our schedule for editing, and the new writing guidelines, and let's get to work." And there was no disguising that it was work. Um, but they they had seen proof positive of of the kind of um, sort of beneficial impact good content can have. And I think we may wrap it up there. I think we could go on talking for, for quite some time because I think it's a an area of great interest and it's a, an area of not only great challenge but great opportunity. And, Joe, thank you very much for joining us today on The Transition. Thank you very much for your insights. And just before you go, if you could just tell us where people might be able to get hold of you and have a look at some of your... Uh, other work and other writings. Oh, sure. Thank you. Um, yeah. Uh, so, Joe Gallner, um, eh, it's, it's a relatively uncommon name, although there are some Gallners in Australia, I like to, to point out. But um, so basically, Joe Gallner, or at Joe Gallner, is my Twitter handle. If you go to uh, gallner.ca, uh, you'll find my blog, and I blog as the content philosopher. Um, so you can take that as a warning. Um, and uh, the, the business, uh, Gnostics, is really Gnostics, G-N-O-S-T-Y-X dot com, um, which is undergoing a, a substantive revamp even as we speak. Um, but certainly my blog, and I do post a variety of uh, white papers. There are links from there to my uh, slide share. And uh, I... Uh, I am well known for large and quite uh, ugly but hopefully informative uh, diagrams that are throughout my slide share. Excellent. Well, I can, I can hear the audience scrambling already to, uh, to, to jump online and, and uh, take in more of the wisdom and the content of, of Joe Golner. Joe, thanks very much for joining us. What enormous value in this area of content strategy and 
intelligent content, adaptable content, agile content, whatever it is, the language you use to describe it, this is going to be critically important for people working on major content projects for government. So we all have to get our heads into this space. Understanding the governance around your content assets into the organization and through the organization will be a real priority for those of us who work in government. I know you would have got a lot of value from our discussion with Joe, and I would encourage you to connect with Joe and follow him on his blog because there is so much useful information and insight as we all learn more about content strategy in government. Now, it would be great if you could quickly pop over to iTunes or Stitcher to leave a review. Every one of those helps us to get the message out. And thanks again for being part of our project, which is really starting to build a global community of government communicators who are pursuing the practice of content marketing as we all seek to build stronger communities and improve the well-being of citizens wherever you may be in the world. Thanks again for joining me. Look forward to speaking to you again next week. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in government. For more, visit us at intransitionpodcast.com.au.